Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, July the 8th, 2013. This is episode 1163 of the Survival Podcast, and it's also episode 7. Yes, it's not a Monday feedback show. Guys, I'm in Montana all week. There will only be three shows this week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, so you might want to select something to listen to Thursday and Friday and even Monday of next week. Uh, I'm in a very long, intensive class with Dave Jackie on uh, forest garden uh, development and planning. And uh, I am actually a full-on student in this class. I'm not presenting. I am there to learn. As you're listening to this, I'm already uh, probably airborne right now as you're listening to this. If you listen to it uh, pretty much after it comes out on my way to uh, Helena from uh, probably I've already probably uh, connected in Salt Lake City by the time you hear this. And uh, I'm really out. I'm out for a week. I'm just not here. Um, this would not be a good week to send me detailed emails or anything like that. Uh, a lot of emails going to get buried and lost this week. Uh, if it's something that's deep and important, customer service-wise, make sure you use 4Jack in it. Um, and know there'll be delayed responses. I put out a blog post on that earlier uh, to make sure people knew. Uh, but this would, if you have like one of these books you want to write me, a lot of times they don't get read anyway because you wrote a book instead of a brief thing. But this is really a week to not do that. I apologize for any delays in customer service. Uh, but again, this is not a vacation. This is a uh, training. Uh, hopefully it will give me a lot more uh, ability to teach you guys on some things and uh, really help me develop my skill set forward on developing sustainable food systems. So uh, I'll be back next week, but I do have three shows preloaded for you this week. Today, uh, CJ continues our Women of Prepping series, and it's going to be a great interview. I'll have her on in just a moment as soon as I uh, take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, Jeff, the Berkey Guy Gleason. What are you going to get from the Berkey Guy? Berkey Water Filtration Systems. But you can get a Berkey from a lot of people. You can go to a gun show and get a Berkey. You can go all kinds of places and get a Berkey. Why wouldn't you, you know, why, why get it from the Berkey Guy? Well, do you want to get it from the, the non-Berkey Guy? I mean, if you can get something from the Berkey guy, maybe you should get your Berkey from the Berkey guy. Seriously, though, Jeff is an awesome guy. He's uh, just a fanatic when it comes to taking care of his customers and good customer service. Uh, awesome, awesome all-around uh, business guy. Great stuff. And we all know Berkey is one of the best water filtration systems you can get your hands on. On top of that, Jeff has a lot of other great items for your prepping. Check his website out. It's directive21.com. That's the word directive followed by the numbers 2 and 1 followed by .com. And uh, check out the Berkey guy again. He also does a discount for you guys. If you need filters or anything like that, make sure you're uh, if you're an MSB member, you're getting your uh, free uh, free stuff. Uh, and if you're buying Mountain House from Jeff, he has a discount for you as well. You'll find all the information in your member support brigade area if you're a member uh, under the benefits section. Next up today, the Free State Project, the sponsor that's not a sponsor, the company I sponsor. Yep. Uh, the Free State Project is a group of folks that are voting with their feet by getting as many free, freedom-minded individuals as they can to move to New Hampshire and try to turn New Hampshire into the freest state in the union. Uh, the folks there are great folks. I support them. Even if you're not going to move to New Hampshire, there's ways you can support them, and some of their events are just awesome. Check them out at freestateproject.org. Uh, next up, I want to remind you guys about the Walking to Freedom Forum. We're going to go full tilt more when I get back from Montana on that. 
Right now, the form's up. It's running. It's working. There's a there's a board for every state. You can help people find a new home. You can find a new home if you're tired of the tyranny of one of the states on the naughty list. You can tell your story and write your goodbye letter to states like Illinois and New Jersey and California when you leave and take your hardworking family and your tax dollars and everything good about you with you because that state no longer is uh, worthy of the privilege of your presence. Check us out today. Walking to Freedom. Dot com. Last but not least, least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents per episode. Uh, that's all I'm going to say on the Member Support Brigade today. And with that, hey, CJ, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Great to be here, Jack. Before we get started with uh, me asking you questions, can you start out with just telling us a little bit about who you are and uh, and, and where you're at in life right now? Um, sure. I grew up on Long Island, New York, and um, moved to Vermont with my husband 21 years ago. And uh, let's see, we've got two kids, and now they're my my oldest just graduated, and I've got one more graduating next year. Uh, in 2008, I started kind of a homestead. So at this point, I'm up to five cows, 11 sheep a bunch of turkeys and chickens, and um, I actually have some tilapia in my living room. Cool. Yeah. But I, I have in your notes here that it took like 14 years to get your husband to... It did. Uh, ...to it have did. chickens. So what took so dad gone long to uh, for, for him to let you have a, a few birds? Well, we're, we're, off, the, we're off grid, um, and, uh, we're kind of in the middle of the woods. We live on 125 acres and it's really, it's, it's pretty forested. And he just felt, um, A, that the chickens would freeze to death and, uh, B, it would draw on predators and C, he would have to take care of them. So, uh, I, it took me a while, but I addressed those issues and that was it. That was, uh, what do they call that? The gateway animal? Yeah, I call it the gateway. It's like a gateway livestock drug. Yes. So, yes. like, your your garden is your gateway drug to prepping, and your chicken is your gateway to other livestock. Right, right. So that was it. That was just, I, you know, he he let me in that one thing, and poof. So, uh, how'd you uh, how'd you address those concerns? Well, you know, I guess the taking care of him part was just I'll do it, and once he believes that, that's done. But right. you know, the forested land thing—I think a lot of people are afraid of that. But I mean, chickens naturally are jungle creatures. It's true. Um, I uh, built a chicken fortress, <laughs> so I, I, we, you know, I had the the one thing I hear about a lot is um, critters digging underneath the coop to get in. So yeah. I spent a summer and I dug out a little foundation and uh, poured, uh, you know, a sort of a concrete pad that was eight feet by 11 feet and uh, put a couple layers of, of cement blocks up. And my plan was to make an, like uh, a cob sort of chicken coop to keep them warm. But it turns out, you know, the feathers insulate them and they, they didn't really have much trouble with that. So it was pretty well insulated, and the summer that we got the chickens, we actually had a bear and a cub that tried to get in, but because I built a chicken fortress, um, they didn't get in. And I mentioned once uh, on one of the comments of your shows that the bear tried to get in, I think, to get the feed and not the chicken. Hmm. So I don't, I don't keep the feed out there anymore. But that's that's definitely well, there's a you know 
anybody that's ever opened a bag of chicken feet knows that the smell's pretty um pretty unique and pretty you smell that grainy smell really really well when you open that bag and if you think about how much better a bear can smell than us it's probably smells pretty appetizing to them my my own um battle with the bear wasn't the chicken coop it was the deer feeder which he proceeded to push over uh 350 pound deer feeder smash it to bits and then roll around in 350 pounds of corn uh eat exactly two mouthfuls of it and leave and then return every night we could see him on the camera to roll his filthy bear body in the corn because <laughs> he he didn't even bears don't really like corn that much that's why we'd only eat a couple mouthfuls a night but they're like they're greedy like dogs are and he didn't want anybody else to have the corn. That's what I'm convinced of because it, most of it rotted in the ground. But none of the deer would come back once he kind of stunk the whole place up and was, you know, he, he, we had him on camera rubbing trees and stuff. But yeah, he shoved it over like it was, uh, you know, like you might shove over a book and just bash the the, the the heck out of it. So you must have made a pretty good fortress. I did. I did. Tried to tried to get in. Tried to climb in through the window, through the roof, and it, you know, it failed. So it, and once you remove the feed, he just like quit. Well, doing actually, um, uh, pretty soon after that, we got um, a livestock guard dog. Mm. And um, so when we first moved here, like I said, 21 years ago, somebody um, killed a bear on our property. And um, then we got a golden retriever, and we didn't hear anything from any bears. You know, and a golden retriever is not a vicious dog or anything, but. Then the dog died 14 years later, and that's when the the bear showed up. So I think even just the smell of a dog, unless it's a high that you know they've got high pressure or something, uh, that that kept them away. So now we have um, we've got three dogs, and even with some um, I forgot we have bees too. We're kind of a we're kind of a bee landlord though. I don't they're not yeah. my bees, but um, so we haven't had any bears attack. You know, try to get any honey. So I think we're good with all those dogs. What breed did you go with for your uh, livestock guardian dog? Um, I have a Maremma, uh, okay. which is like the Italian version of a Great Pyrenees. Okay. And I've got a, a Pyrenees Kuvats cross, and the Kuvats is the Hungarian version of a of a Pyrenees. And I had another Pyrenees, but um, he just passed away in February, so yeah. I'm, I'm on the lookout for another one. And then the other dog is just an Australian Shepherd, so we have a dog that's kind of a house dog. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you, it sounds like you, you, you went through the chicken gateway and now you have a lot of livestock. What kind of livestock do you guys have? Um, well, we've got, um, mini belted Galloways and, uh, we, I've got black Welsh mountain sheep and, um, I got, I have mainly Chanticleer chickens. Chanticleers are like the chicken of Canada. I cannot get, wait to get rid of them though. Um, I'm ordering some, uh, Cornish. Regular Cornish birds. Okay. Well, what don't you like about those chickens? Well, you know, I researched it really carefully, <laughs> which is really annoying to me. But yeah. um, what I don't like about them is uh, the biggest thing is that they're hard to contain. So they they'll they'll fly over anything, even with their wings clipped. One wing clipped, both wing clipped, doesn't matter. They'll just fly over a four foot fence, no problem. Um, and they, uh, hide eggs on me a lot. <laughs> so last year, last summer, I had at least three, three clutches that hatched out. And if a clutch is, you know, if you get maybe 
eight to ten live birds in a clutch, and half of them are roosters. Yep. Uh, my husband wanted to kill me. <laughs> Actually, he wanted to kill me between those and um, I bought, uh, for meat birds, I bought some Cornish crosses, the slow yep. kind, which um, after eight weeks, they, they don't really say come and kill me. In fact, I had one that I couldn't catch when I did my processing, and <laughs> he survived till till this spring. And Those are like the, the freedom have, rangers or the red rangers, whatever they call yeah, them. Yeah, well, this one, I don't know, it didn't have any leg problems. It was big. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I'm just, just, uh, I just thought, well, I'll try. Uh, they've got this special, like a dollar a bird, the male leghorns. Mm-hmm. That was horrible because uh, they're they're kind of tiny, even when they're full grown. Yeah. I found it hard to get in and and do the processing on them and. Yeah. Uh, so I still have two of those left, but you can imagine. I so I had a, uh, I think I had twenty five of those, and then all these other little roosters that were running around. And my husband gets up at five o'clock in the morning, and boy, he's not a <laughs> hunter, so he couldn't. He didn't really go out and shoot anything, but he he uh, or he thought about it. So. Yeah, I uh, I made the mistake this year of getting some straight run Egyptian Faomis, and my my recommendation on that breed for people now is unless you want. Like, if you have a huge piece of land, you're just going to let your birds completely free range and break up into flocks. Don't do it uh, because they're psychopaths, uh, especially <laughs> yeah. the cockerels. They're absolute psychopaths. In fact, my hens started getting really my, – my pullets, my laying pullets started getting really hyper because I ended up with six cockerels out of an eight-bird straight run. And these birds that were just sweet birds that we raised from hand, you go in the coop, and they're biting. And I mean, like, drawing blood biting you and – um, then we finally realized that basically these six cockerels had matured way faster than the other birds and were trying to mate and, and hair them up and things like that already and just completely stressed out the rest of the flock. So all six of them are now being finished in a, uh, a chicken tractor by themselves, and my girls are back to being peaceful, loving little chickens again. And uh, we actually have two fe- two uh, pullet uh, Egyptian Faomi birds and... Uh, uh, they're kind of psychopathic too. They may very well find their way to the grill. They may get a little bit longer of a stay. Um, but that breeds, so I think you find things out. Like, you know, you read about it. Like you said, we did our research and it was like, they're very self-sufficient. They can handle the heat. We have the opposite problem you do, you know, and they're great foragers and, and what have you. But, you know, the part about them being psychopaths, uh, wasn't, wasn't mentioned in the literature. Right. Well, you know, it's funny you say that about foraging because I've um, that's been one of the key criteria for every breed that I look at. And um, and I, I named my farm Forage Farm, thinking, like, I want my animals to go get their own food. Okay, well, here's the thing. Uh, a good forager, that's a euphemism for an escape artist. Correct. So I didn't know that. <laughs> and it's okay. It's not so bad if your chickens escape, but when your cows get out, man... That's, you know, yeah, uh, for somebody, you know, who I grew up on Long Island, I, I, we had, I had a cat growing up. Maybe I had a turtle or something at some point, but that's it. So I'm totally new to all livestock. So, you know, um, but there is always a solution. If it doesn't work out, you can eat it. That's true. And that's, (laughs) that's very helpful. So I have, I've been putting off killing all these other, I probably have, at least 12 roosters I can really get, get rid of. And, uh, I kept saying, I'll do it as soon as we get the pigs. I'll feed it to the pigs. Cause they're just, 
they were kind of a pain to process, and I'm not sure how how worth it it would be, except for soup. So anyway, we yeah. finally got our pigs yesterday. Oh, that's an animal. I forgot to mention pigs. So we finally got the pigs yesterday, and now I think I'm going to, you know, pluck one off a day or, you know, something, mm-hmm. shoot one and give it to well, the pigs. Well, one thing I can advise people with, if you have chickens that you want to butcher and you don't want to sit down and butcher like 12 or 6 at a run and you just want to start you know, plucking them off and you don't want to make the whole process complicated as long as you're okay with boneless chicken skin them it's so easy if you skin them you just you lose that great crispy skin but if they're birds that aren't that big anyway and you just don't want the carcass to go to waste um you know you can pretty much pull the skin off a chicken and that that takes out the scalding that takes out the plucking and I've done it before where we've had a couple that we need to get rid of, and you just skin them and maybe even bone them out. Bone out the breast, and then take the thigh and the leg and the wing, and done. And it, that speeds it up, like, to, you know, 10% of the time. Because most of the time is spent, unless you have a plucker, plucking. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, to get a fire going. Well, I, I get a fire going outside to, to scald them. Um, but it's a process. I tend not to do more than five or six at a time because it's just me. And more than five, it becomes like a chore. I'm like, ugh, I'm done with this already. Well, I'm glad you had good luck with the Freedom Rangers because we're going to bring in uh, probably 25 of them to run meat birds through our fall. Our fall is a much better time to run birds on pasture than our summer because we have these 105-degree days here. And the, we get our drought usually. They call it a drought. It's just it doesn't rain in July and August. It's, it's, I hate to break into all the weather forecasters out here. It's not a drought if it happens every year. <laughs> and it just doesn't it just doesn't rain then. So about the only thing that's really good for forage at that time is grasshoppers. And tractoring is not a good way to get the birds to the grasshoppers because they quickly learn to stay out of the chicken tractor. Um, so we pasture our poultry mostly in the fall. And I'm going to do Freedom Rangers for the first time. So I'm glad to hear you guys had good results with those. Yeah, they were uh, no broken legs. I don't give them 24-7 access to food. Um, you know, to the to the grain, make them work a little bit. Yeah, but well, you know, I feed them in the morning, in the evening, whatever, and then they, yeah, then whatever you can get, you can get. Uh, so I don't mind waiting an extra couple weeks. But like I said, I've never had any broken legs or, you know, anything that looked bad. That no, no, no chicken that said, "Please kill me now," like you said. And they, yeah, the Cornish crosses do. But I, I understand why people some raise some people raise them, but. I mean, one thing you don't have a problem with those, they don't escape. Um, well, I had, a, I had a hard time catching some of them. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just me, and I don't have a net or anything, and they're not contained. If it's all mm-hmm. kind of free-range, it can be a little tricky, but yeah. So. so you said you had a funny story about your livestock. What's what's that all about? Well, actually, there's an update to this story as of just, just a couple days ago, but um, last... October. It was like one of those perfect October Vermont kind of days. And I'm just out like moving my sheep, rotating my sheep around, trying to do rotational grazing. And um, I tied up my ram because I, I like to tie him up so he doesn't break my kneecaps as much as he loves me. You know, it's October, <laughs> he's a ram, whatever. Uh, so I'm doing my thing and he did his thing and he rammed the grounding rod for the, for the pigs, for their electric fence. Okay. And it took the pigs two and a half seconds to realize that the electric fence was off. Okay. And they went 
I guess the term is hog wild. They were okay. Woo! And they just ran around and were just digging up little things here, digging up little things there. They would not come for grain at all. (laughs) Grain? I got all this stuff to, what? Come on. And it's just me and um, trying to get them. And they're just, and there's three of them. And uh, nothing's working. And then here's, Here's the thing, which maybe makes it a, a female kind of story. I don't know. But um, I just had to leave at 3 o'clock. I had a parent-teacher conference. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so there aren't really uh, feral pigs in Vermont now. So I thought maybe they're having so much fun, they'll just stay around here. So I was like, all right, I'll just – tomorrow, first thing, I'll, I'll just get out there and I'll, I'll, I'll get them. And I did. And uh, so the next morning I, I went out, and as soon as I stepped out – the heavens opened up and it just started pouring, pouring. So uh, um, uh, it's pouring and I and I get the the sheep moving again and I got the the ram tied up and um, I hear the cows mooing, like like okay oh no no I he, I let I open the gate so that the cows can go into their like running shelter and um, and then I turn around and the there's a female pig. Standing behind the ram, humping the ram, who's the ram, and the ram, and the ram is tied up. And I'm like, what? And I go over and I push the, the the pig. You leave him alone. And she's like, oh no, you didn't. And then she gets up and she's still doing it, and he's not moving. And if I was doing this to like one of his ladies, he'd kill me. Yeah. Uh, but he's like not even breathing. He's going, this isn't happening. <laughs> so I'm like, traumatized. all right, uh, I guess he's not really getting hurt physically or anything. So, um, Just whatever. Lady. Then I hear the cows moo, moo, moo. And I look and they're all in their, their shelter except one cow. And she's, she's looking at the shelter and she's looking at the woods and she's looking at the shelter and she's looking at the woods. And at this point I had been listening to your show for like six months. And I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, come on, you're not like picking a bug out shelter or anything. Just go. <laughs> so she turns around and she's in labor. And I'm like, I take it back. You are looking for a bug out shelter and you just take your time. <laughs> so uh, I was like, okay, whatever. Cause um, one, another, another criteria of my breeds is like they can give birth without any help from me. So uh, I turn around and it's still pouring. Just in time to see one of the pigs takes a flying leap into the pond. Okay. And I'm like, well, and I just hold my breath because I have no idea. Do pigs even swim? I mean, it didn't look like a (laughs) suicidal jump, but I have no idea, you know. And, uh, of course, in my memory, the pig is, like, holding a can of beer and it's got, like, a Hawaiian shirt on or something. But I don't think that part really happened. But, yeah, it it flew and just did a belly flop and then... um, uh, did like a doggy paddle and then came back onto the little island there. And um, the part that was really weird is that I have this pond that's it's pretty big. It's maybe as long as a football field. I mean, it's it's pretty long. Uh, so there was another pig waiting his turn to go swimming. I was like, I'm not going swimming until that one's done. And then it didn't it didn't dive in or anyway anything like the other one did. But um, yeah, it waited it waited its turn and. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of weird. Anyway, so then it, it was all okay after that. After that, everything calmed down. Um, 
the pigs followed me for corn and, and the, the calf was born and I named the calf Salvador Dolly because it was kind of a bizarre day. And, uh, everybody went back, everything but went back to the way it was. The sheep were in their thing, the, the pigs were in their thing. And, but just the other day, my husband said to me, um, you know, uh, I don't see a penis on that, that calf. You're so kidding. apparently I mistook the umbilical cord for um some Oh, okay. I was about to feel much worse for the calf. No, no, no. Maybe like, hey, one of the pigs castrated was, or something. The calf, All right. No, the calf is All right. Hello Dolly, so Okay. Instead of Salvador okay. Dolly. But um <laughs> I I think that's the end of that story. So now we've got four new pigs from the same breeder. Um they look so cute and quiet now. We'll see what happens in October. What kind of uh, hog breed are you? you uh, they're uh, Tamworth or Tamworth crosses. Uh, okay. So they're real nice. Again, they're good at foraging. Um, I particularly wanted them to rip up some some pasture that I have. That's and I put pasture in air quotes um, because. Uh, we we had some logging done maybe six years ago, and we, we told the guy that we, we kind of wanted to, you know, to have some pasture over here. So if he wanted to rip out some stumps and everything, that would be great. Uh, but what he did was he took his bulldozer and he pushed all the topsoil off. So oh. I'm, I'm, I'm working hard to make some soil. Uh, I got you. Well, they'll do it. Uh, well, yeah. Just look so, them up. I wasn't familiar with Tamworth. So they're a, they're a European origin, uh, UK, Irish breed long brown hair they they should work well in your climate well they they did exactly what i wanted them to do um and i'm also because i'm i'm on ledge so even if i wanted to till i couldn't till because it's all just it's ledge you couldn't get you couldn't get in there so they ripped the whole thing up and um now we're now we're starting again so it, it's coming it's just a little slow because i'm starting it's almost like i'm starting on cement or something so you got interviewed by the uh the wall street journal uh, did I, they interview because your pigs took a flying leap in the pond, or was there another reason? No, they they interviewed me because I was purchasing um, mini cattle. This was back in 2008, in January, I guess, um, when uh, the price of corn and feed was kind of going through the roof. Um, so they were doing a story about mini mini cattle, and they called the woman that I – uh, had purchased these cows from and she she wanted to she interviewed me and I, I wasn't sure it sounded like she didn't know where the story was going to go I mean you know was it going to be like why did why are many cattle good is it because they eat less is it you know are there environmental reasons is it this is it that and you know there were all those reasons um, you can you can fit three mini cows to an acre as opposed to one regular size cow um, one, one cow is, would probably give you, let's see, based on my experience, 250 pounds of meat, which is good for a family of four. You know, if you, you know, a regular size 2000 pound steer, that's, that's a lot of meat, you know? Sure. Um, and for an, an inexperienced person, I just thought they're easier to handle, but of course, 750 pounds live weight is still kind of a big animal. <laughs> um, Anyway, so the, the the woman was kind of interviewing me, and she said, well, what was the thing that really pushed you over the edge to, to get the mini cows? And I was thinking about it, and then I said, 
Oh, of course, because the stock market's going to collapse. And she said, what? <laughs> and this was, I guess maybe it was right before that MLK Day thing that they had. Do you remember that in January of 08? Yeah. Yeah. And then, the, of course, at that time, it was one stick save after another. But um, I just, I basically said, you know, there's never been a bull market, a uh, uh secular bull market that's lasted longer than 25 years and when we're at 25 years and um demographics have changed and and that that's just what's going that's you know it's hard you know you can't get into this whole conversation with a you know you know two minute interview with somebody to sure. explain why you think this, you know this, the stock market's going to do what it what it did anyway and um so I said, yeah, I, I just I've been in the market for 25 years or whatever it was, 20 years, and I just got out totally. I and I, you know, I put some money into CDs and whatever, and I thought I got to do something. I got to do something else with my money. And then I thought, ah, you know, it's like my commodities play, except I really have them, <laughs> and you can eat them. And I was thinking at that time that it was sort of a good insurance policy to have maybe food on the hoof, so to speak. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how, that was yeah, kind of... Yeah, ask me a lot of times, Jack, how do you store meat uh, without refrigeration? Right. And I, and I usually say on, on, on four legs, right? I mean, if it's alive, it's it's good to go until you're ready to eat it. Right. And and then I was thinking, you know, and plus, they, if, you, if you have two of them and there's a girl and there's a boy, then you've got offspring and that's your dividend, you know? So, um, that that... That that's before I was really interested in prepping, but you could see how prepping would kind of flow naturally from that. Um, anyway, so this the uh, she wrote an article about farmers moving to smaller cattle because of the cost of feed and everything, and I was not in the article, and I just thought, well, you know, she didn't use the story. And then uh, the week after Lehman's collapse, she called me, and she goes, "Hey, you were right." So they did a little piece on um, unusual things people were doing with their money, uh, and I was in there. And it was, uh, yeah, just that I, I took my money out of the market and, you know, put it to put it to better use. So that's that's it. My my one mention in the new, in the uh, Wall Street Journal. That's that's interesting. She probably thought you were blooming nuts when you told her the stock market was going to crash. I wonder how she felt about the. End of September. I'm surprised she didn't call you back and go, wait, 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 wait a minute. How, how, you know? how do you know? Well, yeah, you know, there were, there were so many signs even leading up to that. It was the biggest telegraph punch in the face in history. I mean, I was, I was on the air screaming it back then. That was right when the show started. And uh, when, it, when, it all, when it all came down, people said, how did you know? And I'm like, how did anybody not know? How did any, I know. Well, well, a lot of people don't want to pay attention to to that kind of thing, so because it's just not interesting to them, uh, you know. And then for for our whole lives, it's always come back. And actually, it has come back, you know. Technically, uh, I don't know what will happen going forward. I I can't imagine it'll stay where it is now. But um, yeah. So uh, anyway, that was that was that story about. Um, so you, you started this off with saying you guys live off grid. 
was that a prepper thing or was that just uh, like a, a life dream thing or was that just like you wanted land and that was the best way to do it? What what got you into off grid living in the first place? You know, I'm not even sure, but we we came to Vermont on the weekends, uh, living in Manhattan, and um, yeah, it's just the polar opposite of Manhattan. You know, it's it's uh, and then and then it, that didn't seem. Good or bad, it was just like, okay, there's no power, but that's okay. We like to do things, so we'll just learn how to, you know, use the solar panels and the batteries and the whole deal. And, uh, yeah, it's all this stuff can be pretty, can be kind of hard on a marriage. So I would say you got to be solid with that whole thing. Um, but yeah, we've been doing it for, for 21 years and, uh, it's, it, you know, it is what it is. It makes things a lot harder. Uh, but as long as you can compromise, it's it's okay, I guess. Did you guys build, or did you just the, the place you found was off grid already, and it was already a a site prepared and a homestead and all? It was uh, off grid. It was a a hunting camp or okay. a hunting cabin. So it was like, and it, but it was like an old two story cabin. Um, and I have to say, the guy did a, a great job. I mean, I'm I'm taking that uh, Jeff Lawton's permaculture class uh-huh. online. And um, even back, I think even 15 years ago when I started looking into permaculture, I thought, wow, this is a great setup, the way the pond is, and we're kind of facing south, and we're on the side of the hill, not all the way at the top, not at the bottom, you know. Um, so he, he, you know, because he made the pond, and it's it's uh, it's kind of cool. But we, um, uh, we built a regular house, well, sort of a regular house. It's called... Um, See, the guy calls it a low-energy requirement home. So it's got R38 on six sides. Um, so it's, it's kind of like an, a, an envelope that's, you know, it's got two layers of those, um, what's the insulation with the, the foil backing, the rigid foam insulation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got two layers of that. And, well, it's, let's see, 2,400 square feet, and we you, we burn Two cords of wood. That's pretty damn efficient. And you're, I mean, if you said that in Georgia, that would be one thing. But Vermont, that's that's pretty damn efficient. Yeah, and so that's and that's it. And there's no backup except for the sun, which um, on a boy, it, it can be really cold in February. But if the sun is shining, I don't have to make a fire. So. That makes sense. Yeah. So um, when you guys first moved into this off grid place, would you say you guys were would you call have called yourselves preppers right away? Or did, you know, did over time you kind of go from just like we live here because we like it and we deal with the off-grid because that's the way it is to kind of making a transition into more of a prepper mindset? Um, You know, I think I only got into the the prepper thing really in the last year uh, after listening to you for maybe like a year. Before that, it was, I don't know, part of like an eco thing. Maybe part of it was growing up in the 70s with the oil shocks. And, you know, wanting to be sort of self-sufficient, but not um, not really from a prepper point of view. Just uh, some, I don't know, it's hard to say, but just from a desire to be able to, yeah, take take care of your own stuff if something happens, I guess. Or even if nothing happens. 
Um, has your has your husband been a willing participant in all of this, other than the uh, the the chicken blockade for? Because <laughs> I mean, once you got past that, was he is he kind of on board with all this now, or does he think you know you're listening to some crazy guy on the internet? Well, he does think I'm listening to some crazy guy on the internet, and you know, and he gets he gets you all confused between you and Jeb Lawton and and Paul Wheaton. He's like, uh, which guy is you know the guy? But um, <laughs> but I did get him to not till his garden this year. Excellent. So he's he's got a garden uh, in one spot. I've got kind of another garden in another spot. So uh, he's uh, he didn't till it, and we're just using wood chips and uh, seeing how that goes. But, Very cool. Um, yeah, I think half the time he wants to kill me, and the other half of the time he's, like, bragging to other people. Well, that's cool. I mean, the, the, at least the, the second half part is cool. I mean, you don't want him to want to kill you or nothing. Well, no, it's I, just he doesn't, I know it's a saying. He, I'm, he just, doesn't want me to be giving him more work, but I, I, that's yeah. probably how he's viewing a lot of the stuff. But You know, you should just tell him, listen, wives give husbands more work all the time. At least the work I'm giving you is long-term productive. Because there's not a husband out there without a honeydew list. It, it doesn't happen, and that goes with the that goes with being married. You're good. You just might as well accept that the day that you say I do. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. So you know, he's got his realm of stuff, and I've got my realm of or my sphere of things that I do. And he doesn't uh, do any of the uh, chicken. He doesn't slaughter anything. Um, so I, I took that on. So, and I think he doesn't want to do it. So it doesn't become part of his, one of his chores, you know, I've talked to a lot of women that really fear having to do that. That say that, you know, like I'm okay with raising the animals and knowing that's their eventual fate. Um, I'm okay with cooking it. I'm okay with eating it. I'm fine with that. But and, and even some that are like, I don't even care if I watch it, but I don't think I can do it. Um, did you have any kind of like a, a trepidation or do you just think this is what needs to be done? And if you did have any kind of uh, hold up, what what got you past it? Um, just I took baby steps. Um, okay. I knew I wanted to, to raise some chickens for food and uh, I took a. A workshop. I definitely encourage everybody. There's all these workshops out there that are um, available. So for like ten bucks, I took a backyard chicken harvesting workshop, and um, I still. I, then I wound up helping a friend who who slaughtered some chickens, and then um, he was he was slaughtering them. And slowly, I kept. I was doing more stuff, and then I just decided, you know what? I can just do it on my own. So, so yeah, it was just baby steps. Um, technically there's nothing to stop me from slaughtering, say, a lamb, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I haven't gotten there yet. And I, gotcha. I told that to the guy who, who slaughters our, our bigger animals because everything's done on farm. And he said, well, you could do it. You could even do a bull yourself, you know, get a block and tackle. And, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> okay, that's technically <laughs> true. You're not lifting that 750 pound, you know, bull yourself, but, yeah. um, and who knows, maybe, maybe I will get there. But um, it's just whatever my comfort level is, and 
whatever for whatever it is, twenty bucks, I can have somebody else do it. And yeah, and that's always an option too. I I would say like in spite of my comments earlier about not getting Egyptian Faomis, if you want to get over it, get some of those because yesterday when I was carrying them upside down their feet from the coop to the uh, chicken tractor, I was literally telling them I'm not going to feel bad at all when your day comes, and I usually have. A twinge of remorse in killing an animal that that will you know eat from my hand. I as a hunter, I, I, I've I've taken animals' lives my entire life, and it's always felt very different to shoot a deer with a bow in the wilderness where you know it has a thousand different things that can go wrong and and still survive, and I I go home hungry from you know walking into a coop, grabbing a bird, throwing it in a cone, and, and slitting its throat. That just seems almost cheating to a guy that's grown up as a hunter. Um, but at some point, I think that you kind of do come to a peace with it, and you just accept that, you know, if I'm going to eat meat, um, something's going to die. And the way that that animal is raised and handled and even slaughtered is far more humane on my homestead than in a commercial Tyson, you know, chicken house of horrors. Yep, absolutely. And um, I, I would try... To not be mad when I do it. You know how, like, the samurai are not supposed to kill somebody when they're mad at the person? Angry, yeah. <laughs> so, um, at one time I had the this slaughterer, he came and he was, I don't know, an hour earlier than I thought. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, I was supposed to kill this cow. And the farmer called me at the last minute and said, I'm not mad at the cow anymore. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, and I've been mad at all the animals, just. Sure. Me and I can't wait to put you in the freezer. So, I, but I try not. I try to think of that samurai story and think I'm not going to yeah. do it out of anger. You know, I'm just, I have to say these families are the only animals that you know. I talk to my animals. They're the only ones that I flat out have told one day I'm going to eat you. Yeah, you know, I did that with the pigs. Okay. And I was worried about those pigs anyway, but I think that was the year last year. There was a story about some guy who went in to to feed his pigs. I don't, yeah. I don't know what happened. I don't they know. Did he have like a, a heart attack or something? But I think they only found his dentures. Yeah, they ate him. Yeah, so every time I kept, I kept thinking, okay, don't lose consciousness. And that female pig who had her way with the ram, she would, <laughs> if I would stand there, she would go right between my legs and, and knock me off balance. And I'm like, you scud it out. I couldn't <laughs> wait. You know, the year before we had, um, we had two pigs and I was a little, I don't know if I was sad to see him go, but I missed him a little. Sure. And after it was done, because they were, you know, they were always happy to see me. I got food and everything. I I just kind of felt relieved <laughs> when the three <laughs> were gone. It's like, whoo. So I guess my thing with pigs, I've I've talked to a lot of people. You know, you get a good yield. They're very self sufficient. Um, pastured pork tastes great. All these different reasons that it makes sense to to raise them, and I, I get it. But then I live in a state with a population of like 16 million feral hogs. And I'm about an hour and a half drive in any direction from the ability to just go out and shoot one uh, that I don't have to take care of and what have you. And, and, and I think that that makes me a little less likely to get on the, uh, the piggy bandwagon, so to speak. Um, and uh, so that's, that's kind of why I've stayed off of it. But I think that from a standpoint of doing work on your land, like you were talking about, they can be a tremendous asset. Yeah, uh, the only thing was the the weeds and things that I wanted them to get rid of, they came back. So uh, in hindsight, it was like, oh, well, of course the weeds came back because I didn't change anything. 
Yeah, you didn't put anything in their play. I didn't, yeah. I, I probably, I waited too long to seed it, and I think I should probably need to do some kind of, put some swales in or something to, to change things up already, or, uh, to change it up so things are a little different than they were before. But pigs are good. I mean, you know, you, you can get them and, and just keep them for six months, and then you're done. So Yeah, that's a lot quicker meat yield than, uh, than cattle, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so there's that, and, um, uh, well, I don't know, what else? Well, I'm just going to say here toward the end, um, you do all this homesteading stuff, you plant gardens, raise animals, there's success and failure in that, I know myself, this year's not the greatest year in the world for me, establishing a new property always takes a lot out of you, um, you definitely have failures uh, time to time, but when a new property is, is being established or a new area on an existing property that's never been done before, like you're talking about, there's failures. Um, living off-grid, there's certain challenges, things that you give up. Um, when you put your financial house in order, there's things that you give up. With all of this, the homesteading, the prepping, and everything, do you feel at this point that it's all been worth it? Yeah, it, it's all, you know, it's all this great journey. And... Um, and now there's more because, like, how one thing leads to another. The the permaculture stuff leads to the the paleo eating, which leads to I don't know critical thinking, and and there's all this, and then prepping, and it all. I think you need to make a word. You know how Paul Wheaton's always making up weird words like wafati. Yeah, he makes up crap all the time. Wafati and hus yeah. and tapla and all that stuff. There needs to be a word so that you know you. Somebody, you could give them the, the secret handshake and they would know, you know, <laughs> yeah, I get, all right, you're, you like prepping, you're, you're into permaculture, you eat paleo, you do critical thinking, you're kind of maybe libertarian or, or okay with, you know, guns are okay or whatever, that whole thing. I mean, we need some kind of secret handshake or a, a word. So if you want to try to one-up Paul Wheaton, we could, we could make up a word that, you know, encompasses I, that. Is there one? Because I can't really think of one. Yeah, I can't either. I mean, I do own the domain name Paleo Culture. Yeah, uh, I, I, it definitely should start with a P for sure. Yeah, because um, to me it all kind of runs together at that point. Um, it, it, I don't know if there's a universal word for it. I, I mean, it, it, I guess my big tent word for all of this stuff is I call it modern survivalism. Uh, because we're taking everything out there from cutting-edge science to ancient techniques and putting it together with the goal to be more self-sufficient, self-reliant, and build liberty in our lives. So that's what I mean when I say modern survivalism. So that's that's the best big ter tent term I've come up with. And honestly, I came up with that term long before I knew half of this stuff. So I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, I mean, that's... Right. That's kind of what I've always said. When people say you're a survivalist, I say I'm a modern survivalist because that always begets the question of exactly what is that? Because now you've asked, I get to tell you. Right, See? right. That's, <laughs> that's my uh, my marketing uh, my marketing uh, thing that I do in my you know day to day thing when you're talking to people. You know, because I can either say that or I can say I'm a podcaster, and, and like still I'd say half the people out there have no idea what podcasting is. That they might kind of know, but they don't really know. Um, well, you know, just uh, the, the survivalist thing, it, it's a little bit hardcore. Yeah. Like, the, I think there is some kind of softer way to approach it, but I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how, but, um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, that's not something I would say, 
that yeah. sounds yeah. But uh, We know what I always say to people, though, when they're like, ooh, survivalist. I'm like, so if a bus was coming, you'd stand there and get run over? And they go, no, no I'd get out of the way. Well, you're a survivalist. You're concerned about your survival. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> like a word ninja or something, I guess. Um, what I want to kind of finish up with, though, is the same question I've asked every woman. And I haven't yet. Uh, this is episode seven of Women of, women of, Prepper, women of Prepping series. I have not yet gotten a woman on this series who was second into the preparedness. All of you gals are the ones that kind of brought the husband over. So I have to ask you all of it to kind of flip it around to ask this question. If you had not kind of come to a lot of these things on your own, if you had been, you know, think back to your life in, you know, on Long Island or wherever you, you grew up. And when you were in that consumer-driven, non-prepared mentality, if your husband had kind of woken up to some of the threats that are out there financially, economically, natural disaster-wise, and, and started a path toward preparedness and told you about it, and your initial response would have been, I don't think so, what maybe could he have said in that part of your life to open you up, to make you... Um, at least receptive, or even if it would have been your husband, a friend, a girlfriend, a, a family member, what what might have reached you as a woman that would have made you receptive to these things? Well, two things. One, you know, there are all these people who who've mentioned like Hurricane Sandy. Is that the one that was last year? Yep. Yeah, and that if it's no no big deal for you know for you to be without power for for a week or something. Or, or even a day. I mean, some people don't have any food for more than two days in their house. And, uh, if, if you can just have things all set up and then something like that is gonna happen at least once a year, I think. Um, and everything is, is okay, then I think they'll be more open to taking more steps. But, you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Um, Absolutely. But but the then the other thing is it depends on what the other person's interests are because like I said they might not be interested in prepping but they may be into gardening and you can kind of sneak in that way or they may be interested in um, the the paleo eating or or there's all these vectors. Um, my husband and I now we disagree on the whole gun rights thing and um, I think I used to be. Uh, for gun control, and now not so much. Huh. And he, you know, now he kind of is. So, um, you know, the vector for that is well, we have we have animals, so now we have we have to have guns. Sure. Pretty much. Um, and uh, so there's always like a little vector to to inch maybe the person just a little bit closer. Uh, because it all makes sense when you look at the whole thing. It you know it all makes sense from the uh, the big picture. But well, it's the way our, our grandparents all lived like this. Well, my grandparents didn't live like this. No, <laughs> no, huh? that that is for sure. Although you know, my grandmother did did know how to shoot a gun. Uh, her her father was a tailor, and the policeman used to come, and they would ta- he would was a tailor for them, and they showed her how to shoot a gun in the alley. But um, gr- no, they all. <laughs> Hey, you know, and no women, no women were slaughtering chickens in my family. No way. Uh, um, and uh, maybe I should change that statement then to many of our grandmothers and grandfathers lived this way. Because, I mean, like 
I mean, my grand my grandmother to slaughter a chicken. There was no cutting of the neck. There was no that. She ran out, grabbed a chicken, and a couple twists, and it was done. I mean, and it was like you know we're gonna have chicken tonight. And I mean, one of those birds was was on its way to a pot of scalding water, and, and 15 minutes after she decided it was time for chicken. So I guess it's not everybody like that, but I think a lot of that generation. And if they didn't live that way as adults, most of them did, I would say, as just children. Right. Unless you're talking about, like I said, you know, my my background is they everybody was I think all my grandparents were born in Brooklyn. Uh, ah. So, uh, yeah, no, nobody, no, no farmers. I, I don't think I mentioned before, but I'm, I'm actually Jewish from Long, like a Jewish girl from Long Island who, <laughs> who has pigs. So, yeah, uh, you got to be the black sheep then of the family. Well, it's that's those steps towards assimilation, you know. When the, the yeah. first generation, you would never even think of eating pork, and then the yeah. next generation, yeah, you'd eat pork in a restaurant, but you'd never do it in the house. Yeah, and then you know, growing up, yeah, my mother would cook bacon or whatever, um, but of course, I've just gone off, and then that's it. Then you're assimilated, but so I've taken it the other. You've you've you fall into the lore of bacon and sausage. Well, it's hard not to. I mean, it's so good. <laughs> it's just good. I mean, you know, chicken fat is good too, but yeah, it's not, it's not it bacon, the same. So you, you you don't make lard from chicken fat. No, but you make you make schmaltz, and that's that's good yeah. for things too. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it serves its paleo purposes. Um, if you've got the right kind of chicken. If, if there's men out there that are trying to get their their wives or significant others more into the concept of preparedness, is there one or two things you would say they should never do? Oh, well, I, it shouldn't be a, a strong arm thing. It should, you know, there's ways to plant a seed in someone's head, you know. I, I don't know, but maybe that's the female approach, you know. Think of the long-term view. Maybe it's like a military strategy, you know. You gotta, you gotta just kind of creep along and put a little seed in, little thought here, a little thought there. But I would go with that whole, the whole storm preparedness, because if you've got okay. that, if you've got that thing down, you know, then you're, you're good for, for other stuff. The, the one I've always said to never do to men is never, ever, ever, no matter how right you end up being because you prepared for something and, the, and it occurred and, and you saved the day with your generator or whatever it is, never say, I told you so. Oh, I don't know. I'd find that hard not to do. <laughs> I'm talking about for the guy. I know. Well, you know, because maybe the women who were the ones who were into the, the prepping are, are thinking that way. See, we had to have that food. See, we're better off with this, with that, the other thing. Um, yeah. We came up here once after, um, it was right after the first World Trade bombing, like 92, is that when that was? Yeah. 93. And we were in Manhattan, and there was no power, and it was like, if we're going to be without power, let's go to Vermont. (laughs) 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 It was a lot of, you know, it's like, uh, and we already had the property and stuff, so let's just go to Vermont for the weekend. So that... (laughs) Yeah, you know, it was our bug out location, but we were totally not thinking in those terms yeah. at all. It was a place to go look at the leaves turn in the fall and, and have fun. Well, and yeah, if you're if you can't flush the toilet, I'd rather go in the woods. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, rather than being on the eleventh floor of a building in Manhattan. That's just, um, you know, but I do think about how unprepared we were for for so many things. I mean. Uh, 
yeah, Y2K, we, we weren't really prepared for that at all, but um, it turns out it was okay that we, we missed it. Yeah. But uh, I, I had a friend of mine, she recently took a, she got a free plane ride, like a local area plane ride. So she said she flew over our place and said, oh my God, it looked like a compound. And then she <laughs> said she was going to post the pictures on Facebook and then she thought, oh, maybe I better not because... Uh, when Y2K happens, I may need a place to go. And I said, you know, it's not Y2K anymore. It's the zombie apocalypse. But <laughs> you can come up here if you need to. So. Cool, cool. Well, hey, CJ, thank you for taking time out of your day to be with us today. Great. Thanks a lot. And, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with CJ, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution